Hello and welcome to episode one of the Black Plaque podcast. I'm Dr. Jack, founder of Nubian Jack, the community trust that creates plaques, memorials, statues and other products to make black history known in Britain. As part of our Black Plaque project, we've put up 30 plaques in London to celebrate the stories of black historical figures. In this original podcast series, I'll be speaking to black men and women who are inspiring, creative, aspiring and influential individuals as we discuss their chosen historical figures and who they feel should be part of the Black Plaque Project. He came here and then he was encouraged to write poetry through his Jamaican ancestry. And what's really interesting, which is a similar trajectory to many of us who were born here and then went to America for our success, he then became an integral part of the Harlem Renaissance. For more info on our community trust, visit newbeandjack.org. For more on the Black Plaque Project, visit blackplaqueproject.com. In this episode, I'll be talking to Kwame Kwe Amar, Artistic Director of the Young Vic Theatre in London. We will discuss his chosen figure for the Black Plaque Project, Jamaican writer and poet, Claude McKay. I started off by asking Kwame about his experience of being black and British in London. First of all, it's a pleasure to be asked to celebrate the black presence in Britain, as we know, we have been here for a very long time. And it's, you know, and, and things like this amplify that so that future generations don't have to have these debates. They'll just know them. I was born in Southall, West London. I kind of grew up there uh, until I was about 19 or something. And then I moved to the North Sides. Uh, and, um, and, you know, and I grew up in a Britain that was very cold. It was tremendously racist. And, and more importantly, the overt racism carried sway both on the streets in terms of white youth culture from the skinheads to yeah. institutionalized racism within our, our, our curriculum about how much or how little of our history was being taught, but also and um, what position um, we, were, we were placed in as the black community. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of my background, I think. Why is this project important to you? I mean, I know Southall of the 60s. It was is a different place to what it is now. Why is this particular project looking at the black presence in London important to you? I'm a grandfather. And one of the things about being a father and a grandfather is that you bore your children. Indeed. Uh, telling them things <laughs> that actually it's so much better if they could learn it themselves or take it in by osmosis. Yes. Literally by walking the streets or hearing it spoken about. Yes. This project's really important because... History is easy to forget. Mm. It's easy to get caught up in the in, 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 the, in the, the ego of the individualist here and now. We are right. here because we made it so. And I think it's really important, both in our personal lives and institutionally and within a nation, to understand that we stand on shoulders. This project, I think, is about making sure we remember that we stand on shoulders. Right, indeed. So we're going to come on to Claude McKay, the person you've chosen to uh, speak about. But before we get on to Claude, I understand you have arrived at consciousness before on your journey. Obviously, uh, there was a name change along that. So how did you come into this consciousness? I think at, at about 12 or 13, the world shifted for me. Roots, yes. uh, you know, I'm, I'm yes. about Caribbean descent. Roots came mm-hmm. on television. I saw Kunta Kinte being beaten in order yeah. to take on a European name. Toby, and, and I think it made a very, very, very deep impression on me. Mm-hmm. One so that when I began to read the autobiography of Malcolm X, when I became 18, 
and, yeah. and, and then started to go on to read Marcus Garvey. I realized that these men were talking about an institutionalized and systemic racism or systemic mm. white supremacy that was the same for me growing up in the 1980s as yeah. it was for them being reared in the 1940s and 50s and even earlier in the back end of the previous century or two previous centuries ago. And so really, my parents came from the West Indian island of Grenada. They came here in order to, in part, to give me the benefits of a first world education. And mm. I wanted to do the same for my children. I wanted them to not to have to worry about culture and identity in the way that I had to. Um, yeah. And I wanted to give them their ancestry on it so that they could just look forward and appreciate the past. So Kwame, as I said, our, our journey was quite similar in terms of our influences in coming into what many people call consciousness. You've chosen Claude McKay as your person of interest. Claude McKay was a Jamaican writer. In fact, you tell us, tell us about Claude McKay and what it means to you. I mean, Claude, as you said, you know, he, he was in Jamaica and then he came here. Yeah. He came to England. And, yeah. and I love that. Much like when Marcus Garvey also came here and, yeah. and worked at, new, at a newspaper with the yeah. playwright George Bernard Shaw, which was owned by an African Brit, Deuce Muhammad Ali. Yes. And uh, so Claude, Mc I know, I, I'm, I'm mentioning names that you will know. No, 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 it's good. You, you will know, you know, intimately, probably even more so than I. But yeah, he came here and, and then he was encouraged to write, not just write poetry, but write poetry with, through his Jamaican ancestry. Indeed. And, and then he took a prize, prize money that he won, and then he, he went to Harlem. And what's right. really interesting, which is a similar trajectory to many of us who were born here, Yes. and then went to America for our success. Exactly. He then became an integral part yes. of the Harlem Renaissance. Absolutely. And the Harlem Renaissance was one of, well, it was one of the most important literary, artistic, and cultural revolutions to happen in, in the West. It, it asserted a level of, of Black uh, intellectuality, spirituality, and its own aesthetical rule. Yeah, um, it, the Harlem Renaissance was so. In that, he was a leading figure. I I found myself attracted to him. Let's take this in segments. So he comes to England in 1919. Yeah, and he stays uh, at uh, Trinity Gardens or the Trinity Arms in um, Bow Road, as it yep. were. In fact, we're going to be putting a plaque there. But Brilliant. he had this theme constantly going through his work of nostalgia, motherland. You know, a sense of being disconnected from. The motherland, which for him is Jamaica. Of then he does go on to go to Harlem, go to the United States, and basically is a fundamental part of that movement. Do you see any similarities with your work and his work in terms of theme, in terms of possibly feeling exiled from a space where you would call home? More importantly, being recognized abroad than for your achievements than you were in your place of birth. I tell you what I recognize. I recognize that the diasporic African longs for home. Yes. In every generation that we see she or he write about it, create art about it, talk about it. The yearning for the motherland, be that motherland, the Caribbean, be it Southern America or be it South America yeah. or be it Africa. Mm. that yearning for home is always present. And it's present because we were ripped from our motherland. 
Yeah. And we were placed in almost sterile rocks in the Caribbean. Yeah. Well, they became sterile after they it, it was raped of its of much of its juice and used as the gardens of Europe. Yeah. And so and, and then we had to make it home. And we had to not just make that home. We then landed here in this country and yeah. we had to make this home. Yes. So the, the transient existence of the diasporic African, I think is a line that sits through all of our work, yes. be it consciously or subconsciously. What, what I think the shoulders that I stand on for, yeah. for him is, is about language, mm. is how to use language yeah. and genre to articulate a political with a small p that yeah. could be interpreted with a big p, but certainly with a small p, for that politic to enter into the mind of those that you think need it, your own community. I think one of the central themes for Claude, however, is he doesn't really seem to fit in anywhere, or he may feel, because even in Jamaica, he's not, uh, you know, he doesn't feel he fits fits in Jamaica, although a lot of his themes are, as I said, about motherland. He's very well traveled, as you know. Yep. And he gets stuck in Morocco um, <laughs> just before the war. He has, I mean, he was always penniless, wasn't he? Yep. But he, you know, he's constantly being um, patronized or supported. I don't think he likes the word patrons because he's always, always falling out of his patrons. But yep. friends, you know, yep. he's always hanging out there. But that seems to come through his work there's a a almost nostalgic feel to his work how do you interpret that what would you well it's very interesting i i quote claude mckay in in my second play at the national i, I call it my triptych of right. plays about black britain um, what play the, was that by the way it's called fix up and, and i quoted it because actually and i gave it to a character to read the if we must die poem because right. quintessentially and again i i i've slightly hinted at it that the one's relationship with being patronized and yeah. one's relationship with speaking the truth is yeah. always a delicate one. Absolutely. The one where you can, you and, and you know, you, you can see it in Shakespeare, right? The fool yeah. Yeah. has to be really clever, has to be really clever to speak truth to power, yeah. but not to offend. Absolutely, because the king will take off his head. And the king will take off your head. And that's the same relationship between black artists and white artists, that we've always been afraid. We can speak our truth, but actually at one point they're going to go, that's a truth too far. And then you're pushed to the side for someone else to come through and speak a softer truth or a gentler truth. And right. so that's always, that's always been something we've been wrestling. And I think we see that with Claude McKay. We see him wrestling very much with how do I survive while speaking my truth? The truth, yes, absolutely. But then as you say, he goes to Harlem, he goes to yep. America, the home of African America, Harlem yep. indeed. So that truth is allowed to be told, explored, expanded upon, and some of his greatest works are, you know, are from that period. That's good fortune and timing. That yes. He arrived in a place with a skill set. Yes. yes. At a time that yes. they could accept that skill set. Correct. Absolutely. and that truth and that there were mechanisms by which to uh, to amplify his truth you know Garvey would print his work Dubois would print his work and then he would be mixing with the with the brightest and the cleverest um, of, of of the American literary scene and so and so actually his restless curiosity yes sent him to the right place at the right time Absolutely. Now let's come on to his wonderful poem, arguably his most famous poem, it could be argued, If We Must Die. 
every year, every Remembrance Sunday, we have a ceremony in our heart of Black Europe, which is Brixton. One would argue similar to Harlem, of course. Yep. There are well-known poems read out on that day, Lest We Forget, yep. Flanders Field. Yep. Ours happens to be If We Must Die. Allegedly, it's been alleged, but not proven that uh, Winston Churchill himself used it as a rallying cry yes. uh, through World War II. Tell us yep. about that poem and its importance. You know, it, it, it's uncompromising yes. in, in its aim. Yeah, absolutely. It is filled with a pain of I have had enough. Its construct is one that leaves no room for doubt as to the monstrous nature of the way white supremacy is making itself manifest at yeah. that time. But it also yeah. is, it's a rallying call. It's yeah. a call so that we, that says it's time to stand. If I may, I, I'll just read the first few lines. Yes. Because, you know, I love these. I love these words. If we must die, let it not be like hogs, hunted and penned in an inglorious spot, while round us bark the mad and hungry dogs, making their mock at our cursed lot. If we must die, oh, let us nobly die, so that our precious blood may not be shed in vain. Then even the monsters we defy shall be constrained to honor us, though dead. O oh, kinsmen, we must meet the common foe. Far outnumbered, let us show us brave. For with their thousand blows, deal one death blow. And though before us lies the open grave, like men will face the murderous, cowardly pack, pressed to the wall, dying, but fighting. Come on, Rastafari. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Come Absolutely on! Wonderful. So, I mean, do you think he gets the recognition he deserves uh, as a writer and as an icon? I, you know, in the black world and in the, in the white literati, what do you, what do you think? I, I, you know, my, my, my sense is, you know, uh, he doesn't garner when you say Claude McKay. Yeah. The outside world, they don't, he's not a recognisable name in the way that others were for the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in a way, that's on us, right? We've got to do it. We've got to make it so. But you're right. Within, our, within their lifetime, they tend not to be given the plaudits that Absolutely. they deserve. And Claude is certainly one of them. In fact, one of his major achievements, which we tend to overlook as well, he was one of the first black writers in this country to write for a magazine, a mainstream magazine, uh, yep. Sylvia Pankhurst's Dregnaught magazine. Yep. So he has been sowing seeds along this path of greatness. And it perhaps is to his benefit that he did remain impoverished because he was able to produce that intensity you know that tension uh, in his work yeah you know you know i i i i i absolutely hear you uh, yeah. on that but you know my heart bleeds poverty yeah. is not fun you know no. you know who knows had he had the luxury of yeah. financial security what yeah. other greatness he he may have created i don't necessarily believe that poverty is the thing that creates great art what creates yeah. great art is that your soul and your spirit remains restless. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. So we are hoping to install his plaque at Trinity Gardens, and it was there he wrote for Sylvia Pankhurst. What will seeing his plaque mean to you? Oh man, it will mean someone from almost a century before this moment was writing with a radicalism, was writing with an openness, was writing with an intersectional spirit that 
that others can walk by and know they're not just standing on our shoulders, but they're standing on shoulders of shoulders. To see his name aloft, oh, my heart will leap. And what sort of conversations do you have with your children and our grandchildren, as you have mentioned, regarding the likes of Claude McKay and our other black heroes and heroines? Um, Are they they receptive? Because my children, for instance, they tend to take a more uh, sanguine assimilationist view. And that's from both sides. You know, white children are assimilating into black culture and black culture are assimilating into mainstream culture. So there is a dichotomy there. There is a, a... formula we need to get this sort of information regarding our heroes. How are you finding it? I would say I, I think it's very hard for a parent to, to judge how, how their life philosophy has been received by their children, right? And you probably won't know about it until their therapist tells you. Or when it comes up when you're deep, deep and old. Yes, exactly. I, I, I would say I've used different techniques in my life. My home is filled with black art with books from people from the diaspora and from the motherland and and others. And the music that we listen to in the home and that we discuss is born of our spirit on the whole. And so I would say that the attempt to make it not anything that they have, it's not their spinach or their greens, but but is their fried planting is, uh, you know, that's what I've tried to do. I I imagine they'll say probably not. That's what I've tried to be, how successful it will be um, you know, well, we'll know when they have their children and whether they're celebrating Kwanzaa. As a panellist, what does it mean for you to be on this project? Because there's a number of esteemed clientele, I'll call them, and I'm so honoured that you're one of them. What does it mean to you? And are there any other names you think we should be looking at as well? Well, to be on this panel is, you know, is to be someone that can contribute to your brilliant idea and, and your group's brilliant idea of immortalizing those who have walked before. To be part of a panel to, to celebrate history is and celebrate those individuals that walked the streets when they were colder than it is now, um, it, it's a great honor. Um, as for names, actually, you've got so many great names in there that I, I'm, I'm, I'm overjoyed. You know, when, when I saw Amy Garvey, I was so pleased, man, because, you know, it's like if it were not for her collating the philosophies and opinions of Marcus Garvey, my life would be would be very, very, very different. And can I make a distinction? There's Amy, Amy Garvey one and Amy Garvey two. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Amy, 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 Garvey one has already got a blue plaque, a Nubian Jack plaque. So as you rightly said, Amy two. Yes, Amy Jacks. Yes, Amy Jacks Garvey is one of those that we will be honouring. So Kwame, tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the moment. What sort of work are you doing at the moment, projects you have on? I know you're managing a renowned institution, but do you have any plays in the offing as well? So yes, I, I, I thank you. I, I run the Young Vic Theatre um, in terms of being the artistic director there. Actually, I've just produced through uh, my, my new company, the Black British Theatre Awards, which screened on Sky, um, which is fun. And um, fingers crossed, I have a couple of movies being um you know, being produced in the States over the next couple of years. So, you know, by, by God's grace, we keep on trucking. And just to tease that a little bit out a bit more, did you find it easier to get the funding in the States or was that just a place of your choice of contacts you you have? I, I, actually, yes, yes. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the mecca of filmmaking is, is Hollywood, of course, right? So, you know, if you can get access there, then then, then you try and, yeah. and try and get it made. So I, I would say that it was... You know, I was fortunate enough to to have a manager who said, "Listen, I think some of these ideas that you've got might have some legs here mm. here in in, um, in the West Coast." So mm. uh, that that's really how how that came about. 
I want to thank you for being a remarkable, amazing panelist, contributor to this project. Thank you. And we are so much looking forward to a lot of your work. I hope you've just started because you've done some amazing work. Like I said, I've seen Fix Up. I saw Elamina's Kitchen, which could be argued today was one of your most commercial pieces down the West End. In fact, I want to ask you this, actually. You managing the Young Vic, is there a plethora of writers coming through to show their work at that institution? That yeah, place? yeah, there is actually. Um, there, there is a plethora of, of people coming um, through, of new writers coming through. Very interestingly, really, I arrived back in the country two and a half years ago, and nearly every artistic director said, I'm so frustrated, I can't find the black writers. And literally, within a few months of that, boom, there was an explosion of people just breaking through. I, I, I think there are so many one can't even name right now. There's a lot of diversity within the black voices, and I'm finding that to be tremendously exciting. One of my last questions, this particular era, this we're living in a very strange time, as you know, Kwame, how has that affected your creativity? Has that increased it? Does it inspire you to write more? Um, it, you know, I think it's just intensified it. Mm. I think each one of us diasporic Africans um, living in, in the West, you know, we're all slightly afraid that this is a moment as opposed mm. to a movement. Right. And we're trying to pull that moment out as long as possible and put in okay. as much work in so that mm. we can get elevated to the next level. So yeah. actually this corona coaster of a time that we've been living through um, <laughs> has probably been artistically relatively fruitful for me. Next question I wanted to ask you was young people listening to this and being more familiar with your work, tell me, what would you advise them? How could they get into writing, get into playwriting? What paths would you advise them to take? I would say only do it if you must do it. Okay. Don't do it because you want to do it. Don't do it because you have to do it, but do it because you must do it. Because I, I always put that warning up first. There is so much rejection in this sector. There's right. so much rejection in being an artist, period. There is so much, financial and emotional insecurity in being an artist that only, only do this if you must do it. Now, if you must, then, you know, the, the, the thing I say to most young people is you have to identify the thing that you want to say, your unique voice. Yes. The thing that even if it is the play is structurally all over the place, even so long as I can hear your voice, that I can hear the thing that you want to say, yeah. that is a play that has the potential to be produced. And then the mechanical part of it is find theatres that are accepting plays. Not every theatre has a literary programme. And right. so you look at those and you go, who are the companies that want new writing, that support new writing and have yeah. the mechanism? And then the other part of the mechanics of that is you can find it out via the internet. Just go in, get a list of every theatre in your locale and oh, then look it up, look them up and see if they have submissions. And that's the way, I would, that's the easiest way I would say to go about it. I've got one more question, Kwame, for you. Mm-hmm. Even though you were, probably could be argued you are our most successful black post-war playwright, certainly British born, I don't think that can be questioned. You still had to go across the pond to get, if you like, authenticate your greatness. And of course, of course, when you came back, you then headed up a very important institution. Would you advise other black British writers to look at other markets, other avenues? 
first of all, I'm, I'm, I will send you the check for the <laughs> phrase authenticate my greatness. Um, uh, it's, it's one that's not been used before, uh, uh, certainly with the lights on. But um, I would, I would, I would say that it's 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 really important that we realize that we are international people, yeah. And therefore, our job is to open up as many markets as possible. Yeah. So to only look at Great Britain or the land that you're born in is to belie the markets. Yeah. Uh, and so going over to America was about opening up another market for myself. Going mm -hmm. to Senegal, and yeah. before that was about opening up the market. And again, I don't mean to speak about it in, in really hard capitalistic terms, but it mm -hmm. is, let me, let me soften it. It is mm -hmm. about there are different audiences and there is yeah. one thing that we have in common with most people in the world is that everything began in Africa. We, but we carry that communication in our art. Yes. We carry that communication in our, in our ways of exchange. That means wherever you go in the world, people should be able to listen. Thank you for listening to the Black Plaque Podcast, part of the Nubian Jack Black Plaque Project. Join us for our next episode where we'll be talking to actress, director, podcaster and public speaker, Kalechi Okafor, who'll be talking to me about her chosen black historical figure, Sarah Bartman. He preserved her skeleton, he pickled right. her brain, but her labia was what right. he kept and he kept it in a jar and it was on show in Paris, um, Museum of Man. But yeah. it was only in 2002, even after like Nelson Mandela asked him to return her body parts in 1994, right. when France actually agreed. This podcast is part of the Nubian Jack Black Plaque Project. If you want to find out more about these historic figures, visit blackplaqueproject.com. And if you want to find out more about the trust, visit newbeandjack.com. This podcast is produced by Unedited.